Um, let's start with a question. I think uh, it, it, I, as, I was, as I was looking at the text, I was thinking about a question. And uh, the question is this, okay? So when you guys think about a friend or think about friendship, this concept, what qualities uh, appear in your mind? What are, what are some of the qualities that come up? And if you could just share with someone next to you, and I will call out in a little bit what you guys say to you. So. I asked the uh, chat GPT this question. <laughs> I, did get, I did get an answer. And what do you, tell me what you guys think, right? So what qualities uh, are in a friend, right? And so it says, some qualities that are often considered important in a friend include trustworthiness, dependability, loyalty, honesty, good communication, and a, good, and a sense of humor, and a shared sense of interest or values. Additionally, a friend should be supportive, non-judgmental, and willing to lend a helping hand or a listening ear when needed. I think it covers like most of what we said, right? <laughs> That's pretty, pretty powerful stuff here. <clears throat> uh, fr friendship, if you haven't noticed, friendship is kind of the central theme of uh, the verses today. And uh, I, will, I will talk a little more about what friendship uh, means in context of both the text as well as the, uh, the, the cultural context at the time. So recently, <clears throat> Uh, I was I was having lunch with a, a friend. Um, yes, I consider him a friend. <laughs> um, and we meet every now and then to have lunch, um, and we talk about how we're doing, um, how life is going, how our work is going. He happens also to be a student uh, here. And um, it kind of shocked me, because when I asked him about what a friend, what friendship was to him, uh, he felt, suddenly felt very sad. He, um, he was talking about how um, the friendships in the past two years, past five years roughly so, have all become soured, uh, become quite bad, either broken or um, become um, just cause him a great deal of pain and suffering. And uh, as he was telling me, I noticed that there were tears kind of welling up on the side of his eyes. So, you know, it was, it was clearly a very... Uh, very painful and important thing to him to talk to think about. Um, so for him, uh, friendship, you know, it wasn't a thing about positive and, and, and good feelings, but also on the other hand, um, the side of the, uh, the, the pain and, and loss. And so uh, before we talk about um, what these verses tell us about friendship, um, I think it's, in, I think it's we all know in our hearts that friendship is very important to um, our well-being. It's an important part of human living. And uh, there was this one study um, called the Harvard Happiness Study. Um, it was a, it's a very long study starting in the 1930s during the, during the U.S. Great Depression. And so these uh, scholars and scientists, they, they walked into this study. They wanted to ask the question, what makes a person happy? This was kind of their general question. And so the study continued for many decades, three years, and it started with the initial cohort of all men. They, they were only uh, doing men at the time, but then uh, it led into their children, so men and women, and kind of grandchildren. It was quite a long study, but what they found was, um, what they found was quite shocking. They, 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 found, they found that it wasn't money or fame or material things that led to happiness, but it was a... Uh, a sense of healthy and close relationships that led to people's feeling of well-being. And so in today's text, 
uh, we'll see what Jesus has to say about friendship and what his friendship means to the disciples uh, and what it means for us today as well. So <clears throat> the text is uh, John uh, chapter 15, uh, starting from verse 9. It goes up to 17. Uh, so I do have actually have it posted right here, but only bits and pieces. If you'd like, you can uh, pull out the text yourself and just kind of follow along as I'm going through it. Let me give you the, uh, the context of this particular nugget of text. So it's the Gospel of John, right? The Gospel of John, uh, and uh, it's in the second half of the Gospel of John. So we're kind of moving towards the last bit of, uh, of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. And <clears throat> his, kind of his target audience, the speaking partners that he has, is kind of shrinking, small, getting smaller and smaller. So in chapter 12, he starts speaking to kind of a public crowd. But then in chapter 13, it moves into uh, him speaking to his disciples. Um, they have a meal together. And uh, after the meal, they have this uh, feet washing process, right? The feet washing, I'm sure we've heard, is a very radical um, expression or action of love and humility and uh, kind of self-sacrifice. Um, but one thing that is quite important uh, in that the, the, the author notes is that before, John, before Jesus does the feet washing, he actually says that he will love the disciples until the end. And that's kind of like a marker. It's kind of like a, a hint that uh, it's going to be more than just feet washing. It's going to extend beyond that. And it's really important to note that. After he washes the feet of the disciples and he has the meal with them, he starts talking to them. And the kind of the main things he's trying to do is to encourage them, to teach them, and to, uh, to, um, to give them strength for when he is going to be uh, leaving them. Today's verses, right, comes in in the section where it talks about the vine and the branches. Now, funny enough, actually, last June, um, I spoke on the vine and branches. I don't know if you guys remember, but I spoke on that, 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 that part. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm speaking kind of on this kind of on the second half, the appended half of the second vine and branches. And the reason why it, they're considered together is because in today's text, there will be mentioning of the fruit. And so there's this talking about the vine, the branches bearing fruit, right? And so the fruit is brought up again. Last time we talked about the vine and branches, we, made, we came to the conclusion that uh, without the vine, the branches cannot survive. It's a metaphor. It's a very simple metaphor, basically saying that apart from Jesus, the disciples, followers of Jesus, cannot survive. Now, how do you interpret survive? You know, that's not an issue, but um, uh, similarly, you know, uh, the disciples here, apart from Jesus, will not be fruitful and will not survive. Okay, let's look into the text. Starting from verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. In the same way, I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you will have the same joy that I have. I also want your joy to be complete. As Jesus talks about uh, 
being loved by the Father, he's not talking about some passive, um, just some passive uh, position. He's talking about an active thing where he obeys the Father. The the things that the Father says, the commands that he gives, Jesus obeys. Likewise, Jesus is calling his disciples to obey his commands. And to when when they obey his commands, they're they're in they stay in his love. Also, very interesting note here is that the commands here is plural, right? It's commands plural, so it's not just one command, but it's a whole bunch of commands. And this is important because later on the command will become singular, and so it's a shift. When does it become singular? Right afterwards, in verse twelve. Here is my command, and notice how it's singular, right? Love one another, just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than the one who gives their life for their friends. Unlike the previous, unlike the previous verse, where Jesus was talking about plural commands, now we're talking about a singular command. Why a singular command? He's trying to make a kind of a comparison to... Uh, here's how, uh, here's the command that you should follow, and is trying to make a connection to what he has done, his singular command that he has followed. And what is the singular command? The singular command goes back to um, how, uh, uh, how Jesus has loved them. How, how Jesus has loved them. And how has Jesus shown his love for them? The greatest way that Jesus has shown his love for them was that, I mentioned earlier about the feet washing, right? He says, I will love them to the end. He would give his life up for them. That is how he has shown his love for the disciples. So the disciples' love for one another is compared to Jesus' love in that it, the disciples' love for another must be so strong that it must have a sacrificial willingness, a self-sacrificial component to die for one another if necessary. And this is exactly what Jesus has done for disciples. Let's move on to the verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. I do not call you slaves anymore. Slaves do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. I have told you everything I learned from my father. Beginning in verse 14, Jesus does something very important here. He he makes clear his relationship with disciples. It's not so much that he's changing the relationship, but that he makes it clear to them. Because Earlier, he mentions that they are his friends. In John chapter 11, verse 11, when Jesus is speaking of Lazarus, he says, he calls Lazarus our friend, speaking of my and my disciples, our friend. Now he's making very clear that he considers the disciples his friends. What does it mean to be Jesus' friend? This is really important. Why does he mention this concept of friendship? The concept of friendship and the use of friendship here is not in a kind of a cultural vacuum, not in a place where friendship doesn't have any meaning. It actually has a very important meaning. It helps to know that in the ancient Greco-Roman world, uh, friendships uh, uh, friendships were used to talk about um, a certain, a, a very specific type of social relationship. And uh, in those days, there were these uh, social contracts that were based upon power. So one person had more power, and the other person had less power. And in these relationships, uh, these were known as the, um, the patron, 
uh, patient-client relationships, right? And in a patient-client relationship, something that always bugged the patron was this question is, how do I know that my client, the one who is less proud of me, is my friend, being my friend? It's very important to know this because um, if the client, uh, if the client, the client could have been a true friend or kind of like a false friend. What's a false friend, right? A false friend is basically someone who says what you want to hear, right? Imagine you're in a position of power. They'll say what you want to hear, they'll make you feel good, and, uh, and they're actually not functioning for your benefit, they're functioning for your own benefit. So they won't say things that will threaten their, the benefits they get from you, they'll try to, keep their, they'll try to, hold, their, uh, to hold their position. But what is a true friend? A true friend is someone who um, speaks the truth, doesn't hide things, and they'll tell you uh, they'll tell you things even at the risk of their own uh, of their own good. When they speak the truth, they may do so by I put they may do so at the risk of putting themselves in hot water. Suppose they say something that might offend the patron, right? The patron might turn around and say, "Well, you're no longer my client." Yet it is, it is exactly this, 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 uh, this truth speaking, which was called the uh, parisia, this truth speaking parisia. It is this truth speaking and the courage behind the truth speaking to put their own well-being at risk that makes them a good client and makes them a good friend. As I mentioned already, on the other hand, there, are, there were flatterers, people who only spoke kind of yes men, right? They only, only spoke what the patron wanted to hear. And by doing so, they actually put the patron in great risk, and they never put themselves in risk. It is against this um, cultural background uh, of this Roman, Greco-Roman cultural background that we see two strong motifs in Jesus's friendship. First, Jesus' use of parisia, his, his um, telling the truth to his disciples, and not just telling the truth, but telling the whole truth, all the truth, all the information to his disciples, and being very bold about it. And the second component is his um, loving action, giving up his life for his friends. In these verses, it talks about the friends, the friendship that Jesus has with his disciples. Well, some might ask, well, that's, you know, that's Jesus with the disciples. Well, what about us, right? What, what, what is our position in this friendship? In the context here, it seems very clear that Jesus' words must be addressed to all Christians, all true Christians, not just some narrow, narrow group of believers, because... And here's the key point, because Jesus' sacrificial death was not for just the disciples, but for all Christians equally. Jesus continues, you did not choose me, instead I chose you. I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit that will last. I also appointed you so that the Father gives you what you ask for. He will give you whatever you ask for in my name. It was actually very typical for um, students to look for masters in those days. I, 
I was reading about it. It was like it was kind of interesting because I saw a parallel with uh, Chinese cultures where in the Chinese culture where um, a student will seek out a master to learn from them. Like I, I, a picture in my mind was um, like a young man uh, going into the uh, the mountains and looking for like an enigmatic uh, martial martial art kind of a kung fu master, right? And you know the great white beard and everything, and kind of seeking for him and trying to learn from him, right? So in a sense, the, the student has to go find the master because, and, and we all, <laughs> on the other hand, we think like when masters are going out and looking for like students, when they're like publicly advertising the students, the first thing we think is like, well, maybe this master isn't so good. Why does he have to go out and look for students, right? I mean, he, he, if he's really great, he should have people come looking for him, right? So it, it turns that concept around on his head. So instead of teachers looking for students, Jesus says that I have chosen you. It's not that you have chosen me. I have chosen you. I have found you. And for John and New Testament authors, New Testament writers, this theme of Christians being chosen is very common, is very, is, is, is very prevalent. And it's not true just for the original 12 disciples, but for all Christians. So Jesus chose the disciples and all Christians to go out and to bear fruit. To go out and bear fruit. Now we often think about bearing fruit as like uh, character qualities, right? Being kind, being joyful, being hopeful, being loving, these kind of these internal uh, qualities. But here, the going out is a reminder to us that this is not just about character, but about going out and doing things. It has to be action-oriented, too. And not only going out, but also bearing fruit in other people's lives, too. Sometimes we really don't know what the... Uh, what the impact of our action of going out and bearing fruit is going to be like. Uh, but it can be really surprising. Let me give you an example from my own life. And uh, I, I don't think I've shared it, so I, I, I think it's quite interesting. So um, uh, I wasn't born into a Christian household. Uh, I first went to the church when I was 25 years old. 25 years old, Yes. Um, the person who brought me to church uh, was a, a very important, very important person in my life. Um, he he was a Korean uh, kind of uncle around my father's age, and uh, he he invited me to church. Long story short, I I, uh, I rejected him for about three years. I think it was. I said no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. But uh, some, at some point, I said okay, I'll go with you, and I went. And uh, and uh, he. Uh, he, 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 was really, he was a really loving guy. He really, uh, you know, loved on me and really sacrificed. Uh, sacrificed a lot of his time, a lot of his energy to, um, to be with me and to, to talk to me and to, to, share, to share things with me. Um, it, was, it was a couple of years later that I told him that I would be going to uh, go to seminary and, uh, you know, kind of uh, serving, uh, try to serve the Chinese church in some way. And I remember when I told him, he was he was really surprised. He he was he said uh, he said uh, um, I, I I write emails with him, but he said in the email he said, <clears throat> "Acha, I'm really happy for you. I um you know I didn't know that at the time when I was kind of drawing into the church, I didn't know that it would be like this. I didn't know that you would you know you would come out and do these kind of things. And he was I'm th- I'm thankful to God that He has used me 
and through me to uh, to bless you so much. I think the story highlights that um, what we do, um, we we never know what the result will be. Uh, we don't know what the impact will be, um, but but sometimes it can come out and be quite an impactful thing. Um, another example. Uh, now it's my turn, right? So. I'm, I'm a Christian, and I have to be that impact, right? For many years, I talked to my, I have a twin brother. For many years, I talked to my twin brother, uh, and I, you know, tell him about church and tell him about the Bible. And uh, he, he, he really wasn't interested. It was kind of a, a turnoff for him. And it was, I, I kind of pushed him too hard, I think, in you know, the first couple of years of being a Christian. He was like, ah, oh, you really want to tell everyone about it, right? But um, I realized that this was not the right strategy for him, so I, I just I stepped back a little bit. And it was actually um, other things that I did, uh, a kind of a person, how my person, how my character changed, less so my direct actions to him that kind of drew him into uh, Christ, the Christian faith. Uh, so he was baptized about uh, two and a half years ago. And uh, he's looking to uh, take some seminary classes at Fuller. So, you know, <laughs> I'm very happy for him. Um, I'm like, I tell him that taking classes, I think, will be a great way to help you to um, grow deeper in the faith and to understand more things about the church, too. So I really encourage him that. So we, we see, like, a kind of a strain of actions, right? So someone's action can impact someone else, and that action can impact someone else. So... I think that's really beautiful thing about um, bearing fruit. You know, it just it, it's it's a it's a it's it's a whole string of interactions. What about the friendship? So earlier I talked about Jesus's friendship having two primary components. Right, the first is the truth telling. Jesus tells his disciples everything that the Father has told him. He tells them the truth. He, he opens up, boldly opens up to his disciples. The second thing is that he is willing to, um, he is willing to do, go so far in a self-sacrificial action that he sacrifices his own life. The question now must, we must reverse the question now. So what can we do for Jesus? Actually, the verses give us the answer. The verse, the answer is very simple. The answer is to obey the command, to love one another as he has loved us. And what does that mean for Christians? That means to love one another generously, to not count the cost of loving, and also to not worry about and wonder about who is receiving that loving. It can be quite hard. I know there's a lot of um, limitations that are very practical, um, very a lot of concerns and anxieties when we spend our resources to help another, to love one another. It can be quite difficult. But the command is clear. The command is to do our best to do that. And to be frank, I've I've seen a lot of that in this church. I'm mostly in the Chinese side, right? So I don't come here very often, but I've seen it in this church. We have a lot of people who are very loving towards other people. And 
at, at their own expense. And so that is an inspiration to me to do that too. And I hope that we all together as a church continue to do that for each other. Not just for each other, but also for other people too. Jesus has modeled what friendship looks like for us. In this friendship model, people speak the truth to each other. They speak plainly and truthfully to one another for the sake of the other. There's no, we're moving away from the uh, kind of a master-servant model or away from a teacher-student model, away from kind of a hierarchy model, but we're moving towards kind of a, a same level speaking where both the speaker and the listener have to be, have to take risks. The speaker takes the risk in speaking plainly and truthfully, risking offense, risking hurting the, hurting the relationship. But the listener also takes risk too. The, risk, the listener has to take the risk of hearing what is being said, and it might cause pain too. But I think what Jesus has done here is he has helped us to understand a new dimension of friendship, an important dimension of friendship, which is to speak truthfully to each other and boldly to each other. And through that, we can love on each other.